There's so many reasons in the world right now to, to get negative, right? How many, what are you struggling with? Maybe what is forming like in your thoughts or your attitudes that you're being dragged into negativity? I know some of it is like we just look at the, the general state of things that our country's going through and, and all the, you know, the news. And you watch that, it just kind of wears you out. And he said, like, I decided to turn off the TV. Okay, that's probably a pretty good idea. Or maybe it's like, one of my biggest negativity that I, that I get is I look at the way people are a- interacting with each other, how they're treating each other, and and uh, man, that just that just drags me down. All the arguing that you see in, in our culture on social media and stuff, and you know, maybe it's just the uncertainty that we live with right now in this world with the pandemic. You know, when's it going to end? What's going to come next? Or with the economy? You know, what what's going to happen? Uh, financially to the, our nation, to all of us. And there's just so many things right now to feel negative about either, you know, the antagonism or the anxiety or whatever else it might be. So that's why today we're starting this new series on staying positive in a negative world and how that's even possible for people who are followers of Jesus. Now we're going to begin by looking at a famous sermon that Jesus gave. It's called the Sermon on the Mount, and it's found in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. Now you can relax. We're not going to just try to cover every verse of three chapters in one sitting today. We're going to look at some of the key themes that Jesus keeps touching on and and try to connect the dots between some of those themes today in the Sermon on the Mount. And the main central idea of the Sermon on the Mount is God's kingdom. And what does it mean for us to live as citizens of that kingdom? How does it shape our lives? And how do we live in light of that greater reality which then transcends our ordinary life on this world that we live in now? And so really what we're going to find out today is that the ultimate secret for staying positive in a negative world has really less to do with what's happening in the world around us. It really has less to do with what people are saying and and doing to each other, but has more to do with being in step with God's kingdom in our daily lives. And, And so I want to explore a couple of ideas about that with you today. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your goodness in our lives, how you lead us, how you help us understand truth and reality, how much you care for us, God. We thank you that you've called us to belong to you. Help us to live in that new identity, to live in the reality of what we are as, as your children. And so today we, we pray that, God, we know that there's so many things weighing on our lives, and we pray that you'd help us to be positive not just because we're making stuff up, not just because we're painting on a, uh, a fake smiley face, but because we really know you and we know what you're doing and how, what kind of a God you are. So work in us, we pray today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The first thing we're going to see in Matthew chapter 5 through 7 as we look at the kingdom of God is that the key to happiness is to submit to the reality of that kingdom. Now one of the challenges for all of us today is it's hard to know what's really real and everybody's saying that everybody else is, has, is fake news, you know, and all these different perspectives, all these different points of view out there and so sometimes that's really discouraging to think how can I really know what 
where reality lies today. And that's why we're so encouraged. The Bible reminds us there is a greater reality, a greater heavenly reality, but it's really nothing like what is happening or what's normal here on this earth. Now, that's an encouraging thought. And what we're going to see in light of that greater reality is that oftentimes we find negativity results when we focus on what's happening around us in the world without taking into account the reality of this unseen world. So let's just take a look at how Jesus begins to introduce that in Matthew chapter 5. He starts in verse 3 by, this is a a section we call the Beatitudes because that means blessings. Because Jesus says, blessed are those who, or some translations, happy are those who. And let me just touch on a couple of them. He says, because, because this is, it outlines the upside down values of God's kingdom. And it shows us how God's kingdom and the way of thinking in God's kingdom is different from the world around us. And here's some of the values that as we adopt them, then, then we are going to be blessed. But it's not what the majority of people around us would expect or even understand. In fact, a lot of people, Jesus' words probably sound like they're just, just plain nuts because he says, blessed are those who are poor. I always thought, in our culture, blessed are those who are rich, right? He says, blessed are those who are poor and realize their need for him. Why? Why is that a blessing? Because then when we don't have so much material stuff to rely on, we realize how dependent we are and how needy we are for God. That opens up a whole new reality for us. In verse 5, he says, blessed are those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. How contrary is that to to most of what we see in our culture today? Verse 10 uh, really knocks us off our horse. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted for doing right. Really? Opposition? Is that a blessing? How is that a blessing? And so you see the fact is that Jesus came to kind of set all of our expectations upside down. And and all of these human norms and values, he, he just reverses them in a very radical way. Now let me show you another way that he did that. There's an ancient prophecy in Isaiah that Jesus fulfilled when he came to this earth. In Isaiah, sorry, I'm getting two for one. There we go. In Isaiah chapter 61, it says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. For the Lord has appointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted, to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. And he sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And Jesus adopted this prophecy as his purpose, as his his purpose statement. He said, this is fulfilled in me. This is why I have come. I've come to bring good news and comfort and freedom and favor to those who need it. Isn't that a pretty positive message, right? Now, he's very realistic about the negative side. He says, yes, I understand that there is poverty and brokenness and sorrow in the world. But that's not where it ends, right? His message isn't just doom and gloom. And so how does this translate into our lives? How can we experience the blessing and the, and the good news that comes with the kingdom of God that Jesus came to bring, even when people around us are divided and hostile, and even when there's so much in the circumstances that generate fear well jesus said it like this in matthew 6 here's his answer matthew chapter 6 verse 10 and again like the whole like the whole sermon these are the words of jesus being quoted in matthew i'm going 
There we go. Sorry, I got a really kind of a, a trigger finger that's a little lively here. Jesus says, may your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's teaching his followers how to pray. And he gives us this model prayer. We call it the Lord's Prayer. And he says, here's, here's how to pray. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So that acknowledges that God's kingdom is not fully established yet here on earth. That's why Jesus came. And so the prayer is, God, may your kingdom come. Not my kingdom. Not my will be done. Not a Trump kingdom or a Biden kingdom, not a political kingdom. But God, may your kingdom come so that things work on this world the way they work in heaven and where everything is in perfect step, in perfect sync with God's purpose and God's will. What would that be like in our world? And again, there's a reality in heaven that's nothing like what's happening on this earth. Now, God's kingdom isn't going to come by electing certain people. God's kingdom isn't going to come by enacting certain laws. It'll come in its fullness when Jesus returns again. And it'll come in each of our lives. It'll come right now, here and now, when each one of us individually submits our heart, our life, our choices to God's will and God's sovereign rule in our lives today and the choices that we make. But my point is simply that the more you live in step with God's values and in with step with God's will as he's revealed that in the Bible, then the more that you are in sync with this heavenly reality, then the more your life will experience this happiness, this blessedness, the positivity that comes from being related to God. So that's kind of the underlying foundation of everything we're going to look at today, this, this underlying principle of submitting to God's will, to the will of this king that we serve. And then coming out of that, we're going to look at two particular applications, two particular aspects of negativity. One is with people, that's that antagonism, and the other one is with circumstances, and that's the anxiety. Let's take a look at, at both of those one at a time. So the next thing, if we talk about relationships and antagonism and the negativity of that, it's really important to remember Jesus reminds us here that our job is to witness to the world by living out God's kingdom from the heart. Now you'll see where I'm going to go with this. I'm going to play this out and show you what I'm talking about. But as a Christ follower, have you ever thought about what is my role in society? You know, we are citizens of this worldly kingdom. We're, we're citizens of a democracy. We're privileged to live in the country that we do. But also, at the same time, we're citizens of God's kingdom. And really, God's kingdom comes first over any earthly kingdom. You know that if you've lived in other parts of the world. And so what's our priority as citizens of God's kingdom? Well, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus keeps kind of pointing us to something that he says your priority is to make visible the kingdom of God, the rule of God in this earthly world, in this earthly kingdom. Our job, our role is that we're going to reveal what the kingdom of God looks like to people around us who otherwise would not know God. So, so an example of that, for example, for me would be like when I get all agitated reading social media and what other people post, I'm on there a lot because I use it for ministry to tell people about events that are coming up and different things. So I'm on social media a lot and I've got family and friends who are on every end of the spectrum politically and whatever cause you might want to pick. 
And I'll get agitated because some of the things that I read just make my blood boil. And because I think that some of the things I read are just so uninformed and, and, and people's attitudes are so challenging. And so I have to bite my tongue a lot. Okay, or bite my typing fingers a lot, you might say. But so I try not to jump in the fray because here's why. Because what the world needs from Christians right now is not just another opinion on Facebook. What the world needs from Christians right now, I believe, is to see the reality and the relevance of God right now, here and now. Jesus calls us for our lives to bear witness to his kingdom in a world that doesn't know his kingdom. And so here's one way that Jesus said that. He said it a couple of ways. But one way he said that in Matthew 5, he said, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. So therefore, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your Father in heaven. We live in a pretty needy world right now. And people are, I think, pretty aware of how tough it has been in their lives for so many people. We have the power, the ability to point people toward the reality of the Heavenly Father who loves them. And he says we do that when our good deeds will shine out into, visibly into society. So that's why it makes me sad when I see a lot of Christians acting publicly in a way that doesn't really make want people want to say, yay God. And when I see so many Christians who are picking fights and being mean and arrogant and too, too often it's Christians who are fueling the negativity in our society and listen, when we do that, we're not doing God's reputation any favors. And so what would it look like for our good deeds to shine? Well, it, throughout this chapter, Jesus points to the emphasis on the heart behind the rules, on the heart behind the commandments. So throughout this, several times, he's going to quote an Old Testament commandment. It's the word of God from the Old Testament but he's going to then point to the deeper application of that commandment to our inner life. Okay, so in verse 21, he says, the law says, don't murder. And Jesus says he agrees with it. He said, that's true, don't murder. But then he goes on to talk about how if you apply that to your inner life, to your heart, then anytime you get angry with your brother, anytime you call somebody a fool, an idiot, then he says, you know, you've really committed murder in your heart. That's the heart equivalent of it. And then another example in verse 27, he says the Old Testament law, he quotes that, it says don't commit adultery. And that's true, that's correct, Jesus says. But then he says if you look at another person lustfully, he says you've committed adultery in your heart. He says the heart issue, the heart underlying thing. And so we're applying this to the negativity that we see all around us. At the very end of chapter 5, he gets to the apex of the issue. Remember, Jesus said there's two great commandments. One is love the Lord your God with all your heart. The second one, love your neighbor as yourself. And so let's look in uh, verses 45 through 40, uh, 43 through 45 how that would apply to the heart. Jesus says, You've heard the law that says love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven for he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. 
So once again, Jesus starts by quoting the Old Testament commandment. He says, you know what the the law says. It says, love your neighbor. And that part is in quotes because that part he's quoting from the Bible. But the second part where he says, and hate your enemy, that part's not in quotes because that's never in the Old Testament. That's never in Scripture in any way. But instead... He's quoting from a popular interpretation of the Bible that people were applying at that time. And so what the people at the time were saying, okay, Bible says love, love your neighbor. And so they're connecting the dots saying, well, then the flip side of that, the application of that would be, then, then I would hate my enemy, right? Love your neighbor, hate. So Jesus was challenging that popular interpretation of the day he says look instead if you take that old testament command to love your neighbor and you apply it from the heart the application is love your enemy because your enemy is your neighbor so when people are against you and they oppose you and they even persecute you and people try to hurt you and people mock you and even when people just drive you nuts and make you angry, Jesus says, what does a person who's a citizen of God's kingdom do in response to that? He says, you love that person, you pray for that person. And so if you want to stay positive in a negative world, you've got to rise above the negativity by returning love for hate. Now, that's only possible in the power of the Holy Spirit living in us, right? That's not, that doesn't come natural to human beings. But Christians, as we live out the kingdom of God in our lives, we need to get better at loving our neighbor because we belong to God's kingdom. And so we don't take our cues from what everybody else is doing and saying around us. That's not our standard. We take our cues from God and from how, what he's done in our lives and how he loves us. And so, how are you doing at loving people who disagree with you? At loving people who make you mad and drive you nuts? How are you doing at loving people who mock you in public? How are you doing at loving people who come from a life experience in America that's extremely different from your life experience and have a different perspective about things as a result. And what Jesus does is he ties this back to this theme I mentioned a minute ago about our witness in the watching world. Because Jesus says that how we treat our enemies reveals something fundamental about our spiritual identity. It shows who we really are and what's really real about our faith. He says when you love your enemies, that reveals that you are a true child of God. That's how you know your faith is for real. Is your heart toward people who are different, who disagree, who hate you. You know why he says that? He he says, because that's what God is like. That's what God's heart is like. He says, God sends rain on people who are good and people who are bad. God gives sunshine to people who hate him and people who love him equally, to people who honor him and don't honor him. That's the heart of God toward fallen humanity. And so that's why when we do that, we show a family likeness to him. Now, have you ever ever seen that kid? Kid walks in and you can just tell by looking at his face or her face and their mannerisms and how they speak, you know exactly who their parents are, right? There's a family resemblance, right? He's He's saying here that this is our family resemblance to God. It's not a physical resemblance, but it's more a resemblance of our behavior, our mannerisms as Christians, that when we 
are mean and rude and bullying and arrogant is that we don't look like God. We don't resemble our Father in heaven. And so, listen, are you adding to the negativity or are you injecting some positivity into your relational life? Now listen, I'm not saying you can't talk about real problems and real issues in society. I'm not saying that, there, that you just can't go there at all. Yeah, we can talk about those things. I'm not saying that you just have to pretend to agree with everybody else. That's fake. But the thing is, it's how you talk about those issues and it's how you treat other people who are disagreeing with you Listen, sometimes we have to stand up for God's truth. We need to do that as Christians. I would just say don't confuse God's truth with some political truth. Sometimes we have to stand up for God's truth. But listen to me. If you don't love people, nobody's going to hear a thing you say. And they're not going to care what you say. And so this is one kind of negativity that a lot of people are dealing with right now. And Jesus addresses this. But let's talk about another kind of negativity that's also pretty common. It's not caused by people so much as it's caused by circumstances that we find ourselves in. And so here's what Jesus says about that in the next chapter in the Sermon on the Mount. On the Mount. As he moves into chapter 6, he's going to tell us that as we live for God's kingdom, that that begins to free us up from anxiety and fear. And so, again, we've seen that Christians should be living differently from everybody else around us. And we take our cues not from the culture and the attitudes of people that, that are, we see every day. And at the root, we're, we have this different attitude and this different mindset because that's shaped by the reality of God's kingdom. And, and so we have a different priority about what it means to be blessed or what it means to be happy. And we have a different response to people around us. And, and when we live that way, in light of that kingdom that elevates us above the fear and the anxiety that dominates so many people in the world around us. And so Jesus addresses that in Matthew chapter 6. He says, don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all of your needs. See, Jesus puts his finger on really a pretty important experience of human life. It's easy to worry about the things that we need in life, like food and clothing and shelter and safety and transportation and basic stuff like that. And Jesus points out how dominant those things can become for people who don't know God. But then he says to his followers, he says, you know what, guys? That's not you. That's not you. We can live in trust. We can live in, in peace. We don't have to worry about these things because we know who God is. We know what God is like. And because we're in relationship with him, we're like, we're like children of a loving father. And, and we know we're going to have enough because we know God takes care of his kids. But then he goes on one more step to that. He goes one more. He says... Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. So see, when our thoughts are not dominated by the common everyday life needs and when we're not striving and seeking to make sure that we have enough, then we're, then we're free to live for something greater. And we can pursue the priorities that, of that other world, of that other kingdom because we know that God's gonna take care of all the stuff that, that, that's important down here. And so we stay positive by seeking God's kingdom first, 
you know, I mean, it, you live this out in this tangible world. It doesn't mean that you don't go to work every day. It doesn't mean you don't cook dinner or you don't change the oil in the car. You still take care of these tangible needs that God and his stewardship has given to us, but we do it from a completely different perspective. Our attitude and our actions are driven by God's will and our motives and our priorities are defined by what, it, what matters to God and not by the norms of the society around us. And when that's the case, man, look at the benefits. I mean, just think about all the ordinary person who's far from God is living such a stressful and anxious life, and there's so many things that worry about, like, like what will happen to the job market? What will happen to the whole economy? What will, what will happen now that we've opened schools for a couple of weeks, and, and, it, and what's going to happen with that? Are my kids going to fall behind? Am I going to survive the social isolation without going crazy? Will I get sick from COVID? Are they going to come up with a, vir- with a vaccine? If they do someday, would I even take it? Um, when is this whole thing going to be contained? I could go on and on and on and on. But as kingdom people, we can be different. We can live in peace. We can live in trust in God. See, I, I'm not worried about getting COVID. Now, I'm taking the, all my precautions you know, I'm not going to be a fool. I'm going to wear my mask. I'm going to wash my hands. I'm washing my hands a lot more than ever. I don't want to get COVID. I don't want to spread it to somebody else. But my thoughts are not dominated by a worry about getting it. I'm not worried about the economy. Now, it affects people that I know and love. Two of our kids have lost their jobs this, this spring and summer because of the pandemic shutting down businesses and I've seen what, you know, how volatile the stock market and that affects my retirement. And so I don't want the economy to crash. I'd like to be able to retire, you know, when I plan to do that. But I believe that God will take care of me no matter what happens because that's the kind of God he is. That's the kind of king that we serve. And if you don't know him yet, you can know him. If you don't know his love and his concern, you can know him as you entrust your life and your eternity in the hands of Jesus. And please talk to us about that if that's where you're at because that's life-changing because I know that he has a plan. I know that his word is true. I know that his kingdom is real and that's where I want to take the cues from for how I live my life. So again, let me ask you, are you part of the problem or part of the solution? Are you cultivating negativity or are you building trust and confidence and civility in your life? If you're a Christian, I just want to, uh, to close with this, I just want you to remember who you are. Just remember who you are. Remember that you're part of this unseen kingdom. Remember that God wants you to help the world see how real and how relevant he is. Remember that he takes care of his children. So I want to encourage you today to make a choice. I'm going to make a choice today. I'm going to stay positive in a negative world. I'm not going to be dragged down by the fighting and the anger and the slander. And I'm not going to be paralyzed by the anxiety and the worry because I belong to God and I'm living for his kingdom. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your goodness to us. That You are a loving father. You're such a good, good father. Thank you, Father, that you care for us, care for your children. And you've called us to more. You've called us to more than than politics can deliver, to more than 
then any of the cultural movements that come and go can deliver for our soul and for our life and our purpose. You've called us to more, to live in your kingdom, for your kingdom, for your values, to live in a way that reflects to the watching world around us that you're real and what you're like. And so come and fill us with your spirit today, God, and we need you to energize us today for that calling. We're going to take this pledge today, God. I'm going to, I'm going to live positive in a negative world. God, by your power in me, I, I'm, not going to, I'm not going to sink down into the morass of rudeness and anger and meanness. I'm not going to go there, God, by your power. And by your power, God, knowing who you are, what kind of God you are, I'm not going to be paralyzed by worry and fear. So God, you've got to come do that in me. Do that in us, we pray so that we'll be people that shine a light in the needy world right now. The world needs a lot of light right now, God. May we be the people who show them that light, and you come do that in us, we pray in Jesus' name, for his honor and glory. Amen.